You're listening to the Our Space Podcast with Matt Batiste, where we talk about the impact of social media and music. Today, our guest is Casey Cavalier from The Wonder Years. Casey plays guitar. He's also a producer, manager, and artist coach. How are you doing, Casey? Thank you so much for coming on. I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me, Matt Vetis or Vetisi or whatever, uh, whatever we're going to go by. We were having a little backstage laugh about the amount of vowels in our last names. <laughs> You're also our very first guest, which is really exciting, especially because, you know, I've been a fan of the Wonder Years for so long. So when we started talking, I was like, whoa, what's going on? As my content started to kind of get some traction and some bands that I grew up listening to started sharing my reels on their Insta stories or, or messaging me. I was like, what is happening right now? And you were one of the first uh, early on people to message me and get in on that. And I was like, I just saw you twice in the last six months <laughs> and I have tickets to see you a third time in the fall. Uh, so that was just really, really exciting for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to, to be talking to you now on a podcast. This is amazing. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And it, it really was interesting too. like, um, I mean, it's the era we're in. It's I think what we're going to dive really deep into the weeds on probably. But uh, just watching someone like yourself who, you know, just get served um, a piece of piece of content, have a good laugh at it, um, you know, and in the instant back and forth um, nature of that, it was really cool. Even since then, since uh, you and I kind of started, um, started chatting, uh, watching uh, what you've done, take on a kind of a life of its own within the scene and, um, and reach a, a lot of bands and a lot of music fans has been very fun to watch as well. Um, just from the outside, let alone um, kind of getting to know you and your, and your backstory and everything um, and your history with music. So yeah, it's um, it was cool. I, I was, uh, I was glad I found it and glad I found you. It's, it's been fun so far. Yeah. And I think that's also a big reason as to why I wanted to do this podcast because I, in a million years, didn't think that this would ever happen. You know, it was just one of those things where I spent my younger years on MySpace on social media. And I was like, millennial social media kid growing up and it was always surrounding bands and music so then all of a sudden I, I just do a silly video that i did for fun to get like a lot of the times i was doing videos before just to make myself laugh and so when a few of them started blowing up it was it was really great and i can only imagine how that must feel like as a band putting out your music and trying to interact with fans and sort of getting that interaction with fans whereas previous generations of bands never really got that right like there was more of that um the disconnect it was harder to get your music out there you needed more traditional senses like you know record labels and playing gigs whereas once myspace kind of came into the scene it was like i remember being a, a little kid and being like oh jimmy world is on this website and messaging them and they got back to me and i was like this yeah. is so cool so like from a band perspective i know that the wonder years were sort of formed in the uh, prime myspace years um yeah did you find that that had a big impact because it was very early on to all of that when you guys were kind of getting started do you find that was a big impact on the band or was it just kind of like an extra thing that you didn't think that much of back then? No, I mean, it was, I mean, it was pretty much at a certain point between that and then, and pure volume, it was, 
it was more or less the primary communication vehicle. You know, um, it was a, a free website that every band could have. And it kind of leveled the playing field in that way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was in its own regard, um, you know, the dawning of that social media era and a huge game changer. Right. Because I think uh, the thing about uh uh, punk rock um, specifically, but all music genres in general are that they're they're very community based, right? So either there's you know a community of like minded artists, you know you see small subsects and pockets of that with each show that you play. That's a community of five artists that have some semblance of commonality, whether it be geographic or stylistic, or you know in terms of the messaging and the theme or the you know. Um, what they stand for. Right. So uh, MySpace and, uh, you know, Facebook kind of shortly thereafter, right. I did it, you know, did it be started becoming its own thing, but initially that was, that took what you already had going, which was these um, pockets and circles of community that for a while were, as you kind of mentioned, um, you know, born and nurtured through tastemakers like, labels right uh, like we were, i was talking on a um an interview the other day with uh, the label manager of smart punk records and we were talking about the heyday of drive through and the drive through compilations or the victory records compilations right where you were finding your new favorite band at a breakneck pace because you would just get handed out a sampler of 12 new bands, 16 new bands, um, you know, and you maybe only knew one of those bands on that label yet. Um, and that was kind of, you know, its own community within a label umbrella, you know, and there were a lot of those and a ton of crossover and you had warp tour culture, right? So it's like, that was it. That was its own community that a traveling community. Right. Um, and so that's how a lot of music discovery was happening. Um, obviously pre, Napster pre MySpace, <laughs> right? Um, and but MySpace kind of took that approach in, in and turned it into uh, an ability where it wasn't just the bands and community that was in your direct area um, or on one website. It was a way to actually respond, interact, and promote yourself and go find other like minded artists, similar sounding bands, but outside of your direct scene, your local area, right? And, um, and you, so it also, I think, probably had a really big effect in terms of the spreading of ideas and the spreading of, you know, culture and the spreading of touring. I mean, most of our early tours were booked by my singer through MySpace messages to promoters and or bands in other cities, right? You would just search based on, okay, we want to book something in, you know, in Nashville, we want to book something in Detroit. What other, what bands are in Detroit, you know, and based on genre, you would find be like, Oh, sick. This band fireworks sounds awesome, dude. And you hit them up and be like, yo, if you're ever coming through Philly, we would love to put you on a show. This EP is incredible. And then you become best friends. You do multiple tours together. You evolve together. Um, you know, and I don't think things like that would have necessarily happened or certainly not as easily. Um, if it wasn't for that uh, discovery and connectivity uh, lane that MySpace or a platform like that kind of yielded, you know, um, what bands did you discover or did the Wonder Years discover and uh, start playing with a lot more through social media and through MySpace? 
Oh, I mean, well, it, fireworks is probably one of the biggest, right? Um, I do remember, uh, you're probably familiar, uh, friends of ours, band called Set Your Goals years ago. Mm -hmm. I remember when that their first EP hit um, and they were doing a lot of VFW tours, but it, it was really kind of exploding in that world. Um, you know, where they were coming through and putting like 300, like selling out VFWs, right? Which is like, oh my God, like, no, like that's hard to do even for the biggest band in your hometown, you know, that'll do it, let alone a band from across the country that can come through and put like hundreds of kids in, in a small hall, right? Um, so I remember that like things like that and, and, and connecting with them. And then, you know, like I said, my singer and one of our good friends who unfortunately uh, passed away many years ago, but would um, would promote shows locally out of, uh, you know, the Boys and Girls Club, the local Lansdale VFW. So that was also its own way of networking. But the way that they kind of found a lot of those bands were through MySpace, you know, um, and or through bands that were doing the same thing that were being like, hey, we're trying to find a Philly show on our way down the East Coast. I saw that you put this band on because you have them in your top friends or whatever. Um, top eight. <laughs> yeah. Top eight and then top 16. Top. I don't know. What did it cap out? At? I, feel, <laughs> I feel like it got psychotic at a, at a certain point. Um, but yeah, so it, it was interesting, too. And not to mention, that's actually a really cool point that you now see on like DSPs and stuff. But that top eight in terms of establishing community and establishing it, it served as a for fans of for a lot of people. Right. So it was a cosign where you would, you know, not only would be like, yo, let's cross promote. You put me in my top, I'll put you in yours, whatever. But it allowed people to be like, okay, I know this band. Who are they friends with? Oh, they've toured with that. There's a good likelihood. And you're like, that's a good place to start if I'm looking for other bands. Or then if you see the same band start popping up on a lot of other bands pages, you're like, okay, what is this? You know, I think that's how I found sugar cult. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like before that whole thing exploded. So um, it was a really interesting promotional tool and actually kind of going back to like pre-social media in the same way as those drive through comps. Right. It was mm -hmm. every band on that. Say there were 16 tracks on on like a, a you know, um, a drive through comp or a victory records comp or whatever. Every one of those bands was definitely given like a couple hundred of those samplers every time they went out on tour. So that's 16 bands that have, they're playing 16, hypothetically 16 different shows, you know, um, in, in different parts of the country that are all pushing the other 16 bands with a free sampler on their merch table. You know what I mean? It's that community um, way of promoting right. each other. Right. And, um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I reflect on is that, but then the secondary, uh, thing that I think became a game changer was the ability to have people, give you direct feedback and, and reach out to you. Right. And, and so you can feel a temperature, you can post a new song and immediately get it, have an inbox that's flooded with messages directly from your listeners. Right. Um, it's funny, actually, that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you was with social media being a platform to get feedback directly from fans immediately. Was there ever a time where you remember a specific piece of feedback that maybe someone or a bunch of people gave where you went back as a band and you're like, you know what, this is what people are saying, or this is what this person said. Maybe we should change this or do this or add that. Is there anything that you can think of that you remember? 
Well, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So I could make up a bunch of things and be like, yeah, we totally, you know, but uh, no, I mean, also our band started out admittedly as a joke. So the early days that we were on there, you know, we were not uh, hell bent on world domination. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so uh, there was a little bit more of a lighthearted approach to it. And it wasn't until a little bit later that we started, you know, actually trying to like, put out a full length tour, this, that, and the other, right? But I will say what was interesting is, uh, you know, and every, every platform kind of has their own, um, you know, their own blast, um, you know, radius, uh, or way of kind of like reaching out and, you know, and pinning things. And, um, and it's a way to communicate a lot of things that I were in terms of like, um, kind of um, coaching or, or trying to guide other artists nowadays, whether it be in promoting their music, marketing, um, you know, just setting up their whole kind of digital ecosystem and figuring out how to build a meaningful brand as opposed to just, you know, glor- glorified metrics. Right. Um, and that's actually for me, the biggest thing, because I remember back in the day, uh, specifically on MySpace, that the play counts, like the live, you know, daily play count ticker or whatever. That was something where it's like, holy shit, this band just put out this song and they're like, they're getting like a thousand plays a day. That's great. They're massive. They just blew up. It clearly didn't mean <laughs> that, you know, um, but it, but it's all relative, right? So it's like to a band that's had five plays a day to go from that to 500 plays, you're just like, you're, you've effectively made it <laughs> to that next, you well, know, you're seeing that, that huge growth, that and next it was micro natural. Um, and what's interesting is it didn't take too long for obviously people to game the system and to create play bots and artificially inflate whatever they wanted to be like, look at our band. We're the biggest band in the world. And then somebody goes out to a show and you're just like, you're playing to seven people and those seven people are the other band and the one bartender. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I feel uh, like that's still kind of happening today with a lot of artists on TikTok. Right. right. And so uh, and that and that's kind of exactly my point where I'm just like a lot of it is very similar. But MySpace was the first time that anybody started navigating the ability to do these things in that kind of scale. Um because it functioned as your whole portal into the digital world for a lot of bands. You know what I mean? Um, before social media as a thing took off and all of a sudden now you have bands that I, I talk with every day that are just like, there's so many platforms. There's a new one every day. How do I, how is it possible to give a hundred percent to all of them? And obviously it's not right. Um, so that's why I, I preach a lot of prioritization and, and strate- the strategic prioritization of, of how much of your resources and how much time and effort you have to give as an artist. Right. Um, and where that's meaningful, but back to the point of, you know, those play counts more so than seeing those numbers, right. Which is fun and exciting, you know, cause you can, if you're not, uh, trying to inflate them or use them, you know, um, to, to cast like, um, you know, to pull the wool over a lot of people's eyes, right. Um, you can get a a semblance of growth and who's listening, but even more so than that, by posting things like bulletins and, or just feeding messages back from people, you can really take a better temperature of what's resonating with people, how it's resonating. You can gauge what shows will be good. If you're getting 10 messages from people that say, come to Richmond, Virginia. We fucking love you here. Well, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty good indicator that you might not have the worst show of your career outside of there. You know, if that many people from that area are, are kind of requesting. And that was also the first thing, the first time where people could reach out directly to a band that they're listening to. Right. And say, 
me, I will come, come here. Right. You know, which before, especially in a, in a DIY era, that was all predicated on a local promoter trying to make people in that scene aware of a new band long ahead of a show or trying to just build other bands by putting them on with local headliners. Right. Um, and that was the first time, like literally have not seen, did not see the band name, did not see anything until it showed up on the flyer for the band that I knew. Right. Um, but now it was, you know, it kind of the inverse where you had people that were able to listen to and kind of request bands out of market much earlier. And, and so it allowed bands to tour in a, a bit of a smarter fashion. And now the, the amount of data that's, <laughs> that's at bands fingertips is absolutely absurd uh, as we know, but that was the first time that, you know, you could just, you could put a song, you know, you could record a song in your basement, whatever, put it up. And if you got five people, you could, you know, you could message all of them directly and be like, what do you think of this song? Good, bad, whatever. And that was, uh, that was a pretty powerful tool. Um, but for me, like I said, it's that feedback and that real, like those interactions, some of the biggest things, I guess the easiest way to say this, um, as far as I remember, some of the biggest contributors maybe to our early, you know, growth and success were not necessarily this show, that show. It was, Things like, okay, great. We got an opportunity to play bamboozle, right? Um, and there was, I'll call it a kerfuffle. There was a whole thing about like bands paying to, you know, having to sell tickets to play, whatever. That was a big thing. Pay to um, play, and, yeah. And still, it, and still is to, you know, to a certain degree. Um, and again, feel the way you will about it. I, I usually typically don't think it's great, but sometimes promoters are trying to do their best to give bands opportunities without losing money. I, I get it, but it's not always that way. Um, and I think we, you know, we posted a bulletin about a lot of, you know, the controversy that we had seen swirling around that. And, uh, and it kind of took off, got a lot of people engaging, responding and having this whole discourse around it. But that allowed us. And that was a moment where, you know, we thought a certain way about something felt a certain way about something outside of just me the music that we were putting out. And we were able to put a flag in the ground and let people know about that. And that was kind of a symbol where people were like, yo, I kind of fuck with this band. They're like, that's real as hell, you know? And, and I, uh, I backed that. Um, and I think it's that kind of thing that, especially when you talk about building a band and building a brand, it's more so than just music, especially which there is more music coming out every day um, than there ever has been before. Now you've it's, also built a platform right. outside of the stage and microphone that you right. have. Like right. you already have that stage and microphone, but having that platform where, like you said, you can say extra things like you know, posting on social media about your opinions on pay to play, maybe you can actually use that platform to change the scene. Right. And I, and, and I mean, I, I remember seeing things like that, that, uh, you know, um, there was a website back in the day, absolute punk. And like, we would post things on our MySpace or post a bulletin, you know, to fans and it would get picked up as like a little news headline on the ticker, you know, and there would be like, then that would spawn a whole 
uh, discourse in the comments of that post. Right. And so it was a really interesting thing in that, um, you know, our website or, uh, you know, early like blog kind of format of our way of just putting out, um, you know, what some people today would call owned media, but it's, it's more of an earned media thing in that regard. It was like, it was, a, it was your email list. It was your, you know, it was your ability to direct message. It was people's ability to respond and also then share your music with other people very quickly in a place that they are. So, which is what a lot of platforms still are aiming to do today. But it was the first time that anybody had that regard of like, you know, Oh, cool. Well, I, you're a band. I assume you're on MySpace. What's your, you know, what's your MySpace, right? Um, it's funny what you said before about like having people reach out to you on places like MySpace and on social media that, you know, that's how you kind of gauged what cities and what markets were going to be big for shows. So basically yeah. what you're saying is if you want a, a band to come to your city is spam their comment section, let them know you want them in your city, which I, I selfishly, I do that. I feel like uh, I'm one of those people where I'll just be like, yeah, come to Toronto because one, if I like a band, I also want to support them in any way that I can. Even if that means leaving a little comment, because I feel like that helps with, their algorithm and their engagement and all of that. So right. if there's a band that I really want to see in concert, I'm not just going to sit around and wait for tour dates. I'll comment like, hey, come to Toronto if they're like posting a couple of tour dates in hopes that they know like, hey, if you come to Toronto, uh, people will actually want to see you and uh, support you. And then also hopefully that post gets out to more people and that right. helps them get their exposure that they deserve. Totally. And and so that's, so that's a, a really nice kind way of wanting the bands that you like and believe in to succeed. Um, and I think at the core of that thought and that ideology is the fact that, um, you know, I should highlight the idea that, um, the whole scope of what we're talking about here is, uh, social media and that social word kind of gets lost in terms of what it originally meant. And that means that it's a two way street. So that meant back then you were like, you knew that there was a good chance the band would read it. And there was even maybe a chance the band would respond to it or it would mean something to them and they could potentially take action on what you're saying and the things that you're letting them know about. Um, and I think that is, as you could probably tell as well, sometimes it's become a little bit more one-sided in the air in the like era of everybody just grasping to put things out for attention. Um, right. But it's the same way you put a post out, right. Um, you know, the goal is to share that humor, to share that personality, to share that moment, whether it be about a song or, you know, about the, the, the kind of like emo, at like punk community at large, maybe it's an inside joke or whatever. Um, it's a bonding thing, but a lot of people could just watch that and pass on by and be like, okay, what do you do when you go on social media now? Either you're a creator and you're putting out as much as you can right. to sort of, like you said, get that attention or a lot of people just scroll and a lot of it looks like it's ads, to be honest. Right. And so you're kind of scrolling and you see an ad or you see a picture, you double tap this and keep kind of moving and you just kind of move along and you get into that zone of scroll, 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 scroll. Whereas back then it felt like there was more purpose right. because it was still very early on uh, with MySpace. It was like, oh, okay, I have a purpose. I want to go and I want to connect with my friends. I want to connect with my bands. I want to listen to some music. I want to find some new bands with Facebook. In the early days, it was very much like, okay, I'm going to connect with some friends, see what they're doing, post some pictures, 
uh, and and it was meant to be social media. Where right. now it's right. just like media on your phone. Right. It's um, I mean, the definition has kind of changed, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's more broadcast than it is interacting, you yeah. know, interactive. Um, and uh, and I think that for is really where I start with it, talking with bands about, you know, obviously, I'm sure you probably are even getting, you know, um, you know, people uh, hitting you up to be like, how'd you, you know, how'd you get so many followers? Like, how'd you take off? Like, what's the secret? You know, how should I use how can I use TikTok better? How can I use Instagram better? Right. As a band, those are a lot of the really pressing questions because the industry as a whole is seeing that that drives streams and a lot of those glamour metrics that everybody, you know, that make some people in the industry's job may be a little easier for a short amount of time, to be fair. Um, but uh, that's always my first recommendation is even if, you, if you're a band right now, it might feel like you're um, the only way to use social media and to use all of these these apps and platforms is performative and just putting as much stuff out there and crossing your fingers that the algorithm gods bestow it upon you know um uh endearing eyes right but i also say it's like there's a way where it can also be a really effective tool if you use it and actively if you use it actively with a a curiosity about yourself, you know what I mean? Like take that mindset of realizing, Hey, all of these other bands, all of these fans, anybody else, you know, that's on here there, it's all human beings behind it, right? The eyes, the likes, the amount of views that you want to get. Each one of those views is technically somebody else. So remember that first and foremost, and then adjust how you go about not even necessarily creating content, but just using it. Right. So it's like, if, your whole interaction with a platform is upload something, post it, and then do nothing. It's never going to really be effective for you, or not most likely. But if yeah, you can switch the amount of time, be the like social part of if you put the social part of social media back into it, that seems to be the key. At least that's been the secret sauce with me. Right. I mean, I've, I interact with a lot of my comments or messages or whatever, because I'm just happy at the fact like people want to interact with me and my content. Whereas I think a lot of people forget the social aspect of it. They post their content and walk away. And it's very much like you said, a broadcast. So it's like, okay, here's this cool video that I did go consume it. And then I'm going to go and I don't know, grab a beer with my friends. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, remember, it's it's the currency that you have is attention. Right. So if you're just doing nothing but take, 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 like asking for attention, but not willing to like reciprocate a little bit and be a human being. It's going to be it's going to feel like it's a tough uphill battle, right? Because people are going to generally feel like, OK, this person's not really there. You know, this is all just like this might as well just be their manager or some firm uploading videos for them. But the second they start to get a feeling like that channel and that, you know, that page has a human element to to its curation and that there's somebody there uh, responding, it's actually it, it doesn't just work as people are more likely to engage with it more often because they, you know, because they like what they get. It's actually an even more powerful uh, tool in that you can tell people more about yourself, about your voice, about your sense of humor, about the things that you like. The deeper second, third, fourth la- layer things 
that are what actually help them remember you and keep you top of mind. Right. So I use this analogy all the time where it's like, if you're a band, you're just like, listen to my song, listen to my song, listen to my song. Right. Everybody out there is doing that. Yeah. But if you give them a secondary layer and are a human and put a little bit more than just here's my song, here's my song, here's my song and put some personality and just like, here's my cat's reaction to my song. Right. Okay. Yeah, maybe everybody out there on the Internet is not a cat person. I know you and I are. We've talked about this already. (laughs) Right. But what that immediately does is somebody that likes music like that and is a cat person is like, oh, sick. Matt's a cat guy. I love that. I love you know what I mean? I love him even more. I feel like I know a little bit more about him. I feel like he gave me a little bit more. There's a relatable and a human factor to it. It takes away that, you know ego of like i'm in a big band or like that person's in a big band so they don't care about what i think it's like no that person's in a big band but also they're a cat lover and i'm a cat lover so i can relate to this person and like them on a human level right and so it's it's less about trying to curate everything you're doing to reach the most broadest audience but to find like the points about yourself that somebody maybe even just a small handful of the people that are watching or happen upon it are like this exact thing, this exact band was tailor made for me. Right. And then I raise you the next one. It's Halloween. Matt comes on with a picture of his neighbor's cat dressed in a Toronto Raptors Jersey. (laughs) And then people are like, Oh my God. And he's a Raptors fan. Holy (laughs) shit, dude. Um, you know, he's my new favorite person. Right. Um, and that's how that journey, like in terms of branding, but also just in terms of growing your network, it's like, well, then it's just like, well, if there's seven bands that are kind of all saying the same thing and sound very similar, I feel like I know this one way more because I'm way there. I already know I'm more in line with their personality and their sense of humor and what they dig, you know? I think the whole idea comes back to sort of that community feel, right? Which is, I think, the thing that is so exciting about punk rock and going back to, you know, pre-MySpace days where we were talking about those flyers and the band right. coming together and having that community. It's like you would be going into different cities that would have their own community of fans and bands that would be at those shows every single weekend because it builds that community right. and social media is good at building that community. And I actually see even the wonder years, you guys are good at, uh, while, you know, putting out that community feel type of social media posts, even with just asking fans, Hey, we're going to be do We're going to, we're going on the greatest generation tour, uh, but we're going to be doing two sets. What songs do you want to hear from those sets and having people right. vote on that? Like that's giving, power back to the community of doing a poll like hey if you follow us and you're that much of a fan yeah you know we're going to be playing songs outside of this album we know that you love come out swinging uh came out swinging obviously we're going to be playing that one but what about you know uh low tide versus summer close you right. know and, and and having a poll on those two songs and giving sort of that engagement back to the community i feel like that's where a lot of it gets lost right like just Get your fans' opinion, even if you don't listen to your fans' opinion. Right. <laughs> Just take their opinions. You know what I mean? What it comes down to is recognizing that it's a two-way street and recognizing them as people and not just like, you know, flashy numbers, right? Because um, at a certain point, you know, when you can no longer with your own eyes count, there's five people in the room. It just Mm -hmm. it starts to become it's very easy for it to become just an amorphous blob. And you're just like, I just want this blob to be bigger. I just want this, you know, whatever. 
And that's a that's a carrot on a stick that you if you don't learn very early on how to um, how to manage that, it's a runaway train and nothing will ever feel fulfilling to you as a creative or as a band. Um, And you'll lose sight of the reasons that you started writing songs and started wanting to play with full conviction in the first place. You know, do you ever feel like you're over connected with fans? Absolutely. I mean, that, that is, there's, there's a flip side and there's a, you know, there's a flip side to every coin and the era nowadays where some artists are, and I, I hear creatives struggle with this literally every single day. Um, and it's tough where they're just like, yeah, I don't want to do a fucking dance and spend 12 hours just batching stupid videos for this app. I just want to write songs and make music. Right. And to which I say, I'm just like, you still can do that. Like, you know, there, there is a way for you to do that. And maybe that's a great challenge that will actually open up some new frontier and finding out a new way to use these platforms. That is not just the dance, right. Or, you know, that is the go set this new countercultural trend, right. It's like, that's all the biggest things. Like you look at like Nirvana, you look at grunge, it was a counter to like the eighties disco pop, you know, that's what um, punk is too, right. at, least at its core. Right. So, so I say to that, or just like, if that's really how you feel, then there's definitely other people out there that feel that way. And that's a community, you know what I mean? Like that's a community that you can go tap into and find a way to, either use those apps or create another space for all people that specifically don't want to use those apps and turn it in into a, a positive, turn it into part of your messaging or part of your brand or make authentic output that you can stand behind and find and find out what that is. Do the discovery. Don't just be like, I don't want to fucking do this. You know, like that's fine. You don't have to, but also just know that there are plenty of other people out there that are feeling maybe a little similar, but at least trying to find a new way to do it that they can fuck with, that they feel good about, that they think is interesting. Right. Um, and so I would, I would, I would see it as more of a call to action of, well, that's totally fair. Then what are your options? If you want to still make music and lean into some of the other promotional ideas harder, you know, or, understand that like if that conviction is where you sit with it then that will come along with some some cons as well um but it doesn't mean that you just have to pander and i think a lot of people assume that like well to get anywhere to get any traction on socials you have to pander and i i I think that that couldn't be further from the truth i think actually a lot of the things that do start to poke through are the things that decide to not pander and decide to do something out of left field um that is really interesting and for that reason grabs attention you know um and ultimately that's kind of what you're trying to do you're trying to grab attention but with something that is potentially recreatable and feels authentic and interesting and fun for you to do right people that have seen your videos right they probably knew it's like well and this is i always i always you know push this forward is like the the one hit wonder right where it's just like okay cool if you if someone says you can write this pop song and it'll it'll hit on radio right but it sounds nothing like the rest of your catalog but you will have to play it for every night for the rest of your life you know 
that's a choice that sometimes people are willing to, all right, I'll gamble on it. Right. And other people are, are less willing to do that. And that, that is a choice for every artist, every creator to make themselves. Right. And, and that is kind of the definition of authenticity. And it's those little micro decisions that social media presents to every artist and to every, um, and to every creative nowadays. And I think that in and of itself, it's, it's a discovery platform, right? Not just for people to discover other people, but for artists to discover what about themselves resonates with the people that are watching and what about themselves are they willing to and able to put out there in a compelling and interesting way? So it's really a tool for people to also discover their voice, you know, which is something that sometimes takes bands a couple records or decades even to be like, this is what we really are. This is what we were meant to be with all of the specific pieces that, you know, that make it up. So was, was there a moment where you felt like the wonder years really started kind of coming into your own and, and finding your voice? It was probably our the well, technically our second record. But when we kind of said, hey, musically, things are resonating. We had a sense of humor and a personality. But we um, and my singer specifically were like, hey, it feels kind of tough to continue like leaning in this hard to stuff and singing lyrics that uh, that are, you know, vapid in their that have a sense of humor to them that are literally quite literally meant as a joke um but it's like you know when you realize you're like i think we i think we can do more with this and have something to say but we still have the sense of humor about ourselves so it's just like we don't want to just completely be like nope it's all serious no fun and games you know shut the fuck up with all of these jokes that didn't feel earnest or honest either right um so I think it was probably um, when we started writing upsides or maybe the split um, right before it um, that we were, that kind of had that ruminating in our mind and, and you as a band start to be like, well, what can we say? You know, like, what are we feeling? And that was the time and place in our lives that if anybody's listened to that record or looked at the lyrics, you know, clearly some people felt a similar way um, as it turns out. Um, and that feels a lot more honest, even, you know, not that we would stand behind um, every musical decision now or that I would make the same musical decisions or that Dan would even maybe make every single one of the same lyrical choices that he did on that record. But that was a turning point for us where it said, how do we make something that we feel like might resonate with people, but is an honest representation of the the places that we are from and the things that we have seen and how we feel about the world while also retaining the energy and the sense of humor that we have, you know, started to all collectively as band members, you know, want to lean into. And you were uh, obviously successful with that. I was at the Upsides in Suburbia anniversary tour and man, that place was packed. I drove three hours for that one. And I think a lot of people did too, because there were a lot of people along the highway at the en route uh, stops that, uh, that were there wearing their wonder years gears. Like a lot of people drove for that show, which was fantastic to hear. Uh, I have one more question before we sort of wrap things up, but uh, you know, with the wonder years sort of touring, you guys have been touring a lot lately. Uh, you guys always bring on some solid up and coming bands, which is very respectable. Uh, who would be your favorite up and coming artists right now? Honestly, this is, this is probably a pretty easy one for me. Um, and uh, I think, um, 
and, I, and full disclosure, we did just get off the road and just spend about uh, six weeks with them. And uh, even further disclosure, they are a Philly band, <laughs> which I love. Um, uh, uh, as a um, as a you know, Philly will always have my heart, even though I live down in Atlanta now. Um, but they're a band called Sweet Pill. And, um, I think what they are doing both musically, but also in terms of the ethos of cultivating culture, a scene, I see a lot of the things, um, that I remember, um, from us when we were just getting started. I mean, even down to the fact that their guitar player, Jace is a, um, a huge contributor in booking Philly shows for a lot of incredible bands and, um, and making the scene better and continuing to build it and grow and, and take action and really caring about that and the other bands that, that make it up. Um, you know, I, I think it has all the makings for something that can be a really exciting and incredible force to take like the next wave of emo and punk rock and, and take that specifically like Philly and kind of East coast tri-state area banner, um, into this, you know, even deeper into this next decade. So I'm excited to see where they go. They just signed a hopeless. Um, they just put out an incredible new song that I heard them play every night. Um, and they are truthfully one of those bands where, you know, if you sit and watch their, you know, their whole set, um, it can be very easy. You mentioned at the top of this that, yeah, nowadays I, w I wear, um, probably too many hats depending on the day, um, you know, managing a couple bands and also producing, um, and, and kind of consulting and, and coaching some, some younger bands, um, with, uh, growing their own, um, their own careers, but they are a band where all of that seems to kind of float away. Um, and a lot of the, the strategy, the numbers and all of the things that can really easily consume um someone like myself um you know from hour to hour uh i remember you know uh, about halfway through the tour i was um sitting with a buddy of mine who used to be um uh, a very prominent uh promoter in philadelphia years ago and has since moved out um uh, to la and i was watching and standing next to him and just watching this band that kind of like represents everything that we love about the philly scene and i just remember being like dude i it's just makes me excited about music again. Like I'm not even, I, all of the things of like, Oh, we got to try and get that, get them to do this. And then this would be the, like the next move. And then what about that? You know, it all kind of just fades away. And I just want to go to him and be like, dude, how sick is this? Right. You know, which is kind of at the, at the end of the day, when you know, you have something great, when you're with your friends standing there, whether it be a VFW hall or a massive show, watching a band you've never heard. Um, it's the same thing where you're like, Oh, this is awesome. Right. Um, and kind of get those, um, those physical or metaphoric goosebumps. So it, my answer would be sweet pill, um, final answer right now, but there, as you know, there are so many others that, um, that are really doing super cool things. It's a, it's a very cool, exciting time for music and specifically authentic music in this world that's finding its way. Um, in the modern internet era. It's actually funny because like a lot of my content is based on a lot of it being nostalgia and sort of growing up as a kid. Cause that sort of, I find uh, hits the most and it's, it's really fun to make selfishly, right. but I, uh, I'm not just strictly listening to, to, to like the 2000 stuff. There are so many amazing, amazing, amazing bands 
out there killing it right now. There's some bad ones, but I mean, there's bad ones in every <laughs> single generation. Right. There's been in every single decade. There's bad bands with history. We look at things back with rose tinted glasses. So we sort of forget a lot of the bad ones, but there are so many amazing bands absolutely killing it right now, especially in the emo pop punk and right. punk scene. So uh, sweet pill, one of those bands. So I was just yeah. curious who yours was, because like I said, the wonder years is so great at bringing new up and coming bands on tour with them that uh i was curious who who your favorite was if you had a favorite so yeah uh, yeah yeah. no that's mine that's mine for sure and um but it is an exciting time and for us too like i said it's always really neat and we've had the distinct pleasure over the last like 10 15 years to see some bands come on tour with us open for us and then just skyrocket out of control um and it's it's amazing it's awesome um i've seen it for a lot of bands whether it be like story so far neck deep modern baseball and i hope sweet pill anxious you know uh, a lot of the bands that we brought out recently um but uh i mean i think anxious they would is fi- another one that, yeah. that's doing really well right now yeah. they're fantastic yeah they're they're young and hype and have a lot of energy to expel so it'll um it'll be really cool to see how that all goes too but yeah it's like ultimately we try to find stuff that uh, we think will resonate with our community and that has put the work in and is coming from a genuine place. And, you know, um, the rest is, you know, up to everybody listening, you know, um, well, we'll put sweet pill in the number one spot of your metaphorical top eight. There we go. And, uh, <laughs> yes, they, they would be, they would, they would definitely have, have climbed their way up there for sure. And yeah, just thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today, Casey. Absolutely, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see um, how the podcast grows and develops alongside everything else that you're doing. It's, uh, It's a really cool time and I'm super happy for you. It was a pleasure.